You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. As we come to the end of Paul's third missionary journey, have a neat account by Luke, who was one of Paul's traveling companions of the final uh, voyage there. Some neat nautical terms and descriptions of a, a ship and her cargo and uh, coming into port. You know, you, ha- you can almost picture Luke there with Paul as they sail by the island of Cyprus, can't you? And I remember as a 19-year-old, and then later on as about a 23-year-old, going to Israel and flying over the island of Cyprus, and uh, just kind of almost having the same view that Paul had going by there, as he no doubt remembered Acts chapter 13 and that first missionary journey and the radical work of the Holy Spirit that happened there in Cyprus as the governor of the island, Sergius Paulus, uh, came to faith in Christ. And uh, no doubt Sergius Paulus was on Paul's mind as they sailed by there. But as they finally came back to the mainland and landed at Tyre, you just see this, these beautiful relationships within Christianity as they sought out disciples and found disciples there in Tyre, probably led to Christ during the revival that Philip led uh, in, in around that same chapter there. Uh, and so, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, just a beautiful description of hospitality within the church and uh, just the love that we have as brothers. We increase more and more, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, in the love of Christ and in brotherly love as we've talked about a few weeks ago. But uh, a beautiful thing as, as they were leaving Tyre and it says that the, the families came with Paul and accompanied him to the ship. And, and when they said goodbye, you know, you get some beautiful goodbyes in the book of Acts. We studied Acts chapter 20 a few weeks ago and the goodbye to the Ephesian elders and the, the weeping and the kissing and the hugging as they said goodbye to Paul, sorrowing most of all that they'd see his face no more. And, and you just see these, these people with their families just loving on Paul and, and journeying with Paul there to the harbor to say goodbye. But we want to look as, as they come from uh, Ptolemus uh, over there to the, uh, the land of Tyre. And they, I want to focus today on verses 8, really 8 through 11 today, as we look at this, this man that Paul came and visited named Philip the Evangelist. We see Philip the Evangelist there in verse 8 at the end. He was one of the seven, and he, and Paul stayed with him. And this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Even in these, these three verses here, we see in the life of Philip just some incredible fruits of purity and of passion in his life and in his family's lives, no doubt as a result of his parenting. And we see that this fruit of purity and power and passion through parenting is not something that's reserved just for the characters in the Bible, but that it's available for us today in 2011 uh, Prineville, Oregon, or if you live on the outskirts, you count as well. But we want to look at this guy, this guy, Philip, Philip, 
the evangelist, Philip, a man. He was one of the seven we see here in verse 8. One of the seven deacons who were chosen back in Acts chapter 6. And you can flip back there a few chapters to Acts chapter 6 verse 3. Where we read that in order to facilitate ministry, God raised up these seven deacons, these seven men to serve and to facilitate ministry and to ease the burden of the elders who were being distracted with serving tables. They were neglecting time in the Word and time in prayer. He said we shouldn't neglect these times given to the Word and to prayer that we would serve tables. So, you know, the Lord really gave this word of wisdom to raise up these seven men. And there in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, you read that, you know, they, they, they spoke, and we assume it's Peter here, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. Okay, so really first thing we want to see about Philip, we look back to our introduction to him, that he, one out of seven guys, was a man of good reputation, very reputable within the community. He was of good report in the community. We see that he was full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. So really three neat things about this guy already that when we were first introduced to him, we know, man, a guy of good reputation, a man who's full of the Spirit, he's saved, the Holy Spirit dwells in him, and he's a guy that's just, he's wise. We see that he was given this incredible privilege of being a servant of the Lord, a minister of the Lord. And that this man, Philip, didn't despise the day of small things. He didn't hate the day of serving in obscurity, waiting on tables, serving at the oasis of the day. But he was faithful in the day of small things. If you'll flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, Paul, in giving us the qualifications for deacons, gives this neat promise to those that would serve as deacons. <clears throat> deacons or deaconesses. We read of Phoebe. In uh, Romans chapter 16, a deaconess, a female servant of the Lord, holding an office within the church of deacon or deaconess. And so whether you're a, a man or a woman that's a servant in the church, we read here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So something else we see in Philip is he had good standing and great boldness in the faith. We see that really acted out in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, where we see Philip was one of the men who spearheaded the revival in Samaria, just north of uh, Israel. And after Philip, and let's just go ahead and read of this account of this spearheading of this revival, really kind of being the Billy Graham or the, the Luis Palau of, uh, you know, about 40 AD or 45 AD. We see there in Acts 8, 4, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word and Philip went down to the city of Samaria 
and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing the uh, and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. So this guy that was just, man, started out just serving in obscurity. And man, I just, I just want to serve Jesus. I don't care what I'm doing. I just want to love him and, and give him to people. And one way I can ornament the gospel is by giving some people some grub. And so, hey, let's make sure that, that no one's neglected as we distribute the food. I'll do it, man. I'll, I'll be faithful in this little task here. And as he just served faithfully there at the oasis of the day, you know, he, he just developed this good standing and this great boldness as people would come in and he's loving on people there at the soup kitchen and he's, he's preaching the gospel to them and he's telling them about Jesus and he's giving them wise counsel on to help them in their situation in life, pointing them to Christ. And then it was just inevitable that that little snowball that was rolling in faithful service would become a giant avalanche of ministry for the Lord. And it wasn't long after we see him there in Samaria, this giant city, just preaching the gospel and casting out demons and healing the sick. And people would hear him speak and their hearts would burn within them as he shared the message of Jesus Christ. Revival happened. Breath was breathed into the lungs of the Samaritans who were like a half-breed people that nobody wanted to love. But here this faithful servant who'd served in soup kitchens well is sent to this area to continue on the revival that Jesus started in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. Did a deep study in all of this as we were back in Acts chapter 8. Uh, who knows how long ago that was. It feels like a year ago or something like that. But this Philip was used to spearhead this revival. And within the same chapter, we read of the Lord telling him, hey, Praise God, you know, or praise me. I guess that's what God would say if he's talking about himself. But, you know, look at the work that's been happening in Samaria. Hey, I want you to go down to the desert now. But Lord, there's a revival happening here in Samaria. Yeah, yeah, go to the desert. Philip didn't double check. He just said, let's go then. Goes down to the desert and he sees an Ethiopian eunuch with his entourage, uh, uh, the treasurer for Candace, queen of Ethiopia, traveling through the desert, and the Spirit of the Lord says, go and overtake that chariot. That was a big task for a man, uh, uh, you know, just a, a, a really a nobody, you know, he's not a warrior or anything, he's going to go overtake a royal chariot of the treasurer, okay? And so he doesn't double, you know, double think, double check, question the Lord, he just goes. He's sensitive to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God says, go. He says, woe is me if I don't go. And he goes and he runs and he overtakes his chariot, he finds an Ethiopian eunuch reading the book of Isaiah Chapter 53, about a, a man who is led as a sheep to the slaughter. And, and you know, Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Is this guy writing about himself or of somebody else? And Philip began at that passage and expounded to this Ethiopian the things pertaining to Christ. And as he preached the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, the, the eunuch said, hey, what, you know, Hey, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, hey, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so they get off of this chariot and they baptize 
Philip baptizes this eunuch, and when they come up out of the water, what does it say? Philip was just immediately like beamed up like a Star Trek guy, you know? He just disappears. You know, the Ethiopian comes out of the water. Philip's nowhere to be found. He, he, the Lord's like, okay, you're useful to me in the ministry. Boom, I'm taking you to the next place now. You've been so faithful in the little things and going to the places that no one wants to go to Samaria. No one wants to go to the desert, but you're sensitive to my spirit. You're so useful to me. And we see this boldness in Philip's life. So much so that here in Acts chapter 21, we see that he's been given a nickname. What's the nickname he's been given? Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist. That word comes from the word gospel, evangelico, which speaks of the good news. Philip, the man that preaches the good news. Just an incredible man that I love to read about. Just sensitive to the Spirit of God. Willing to serve in any capacity. But now we see that here he is, and it's been about 30 years since Acts chapter 6. And he's there at his home in Tyre, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. There's a knock on the door, and who is it? But Paul, or a former Saul of Tarsus. The man that had murdered Philip's good buddy, Stephen. Stephen, also a deacon. Stephen, also a man who had obtained great boldness as he'd served well as a deacon. And the murderer of his buddy Stephen is standing at his door looking for a place to stay. What kind of attitude do we see of Philip? And we just see, come on in. Come on in. You're a new creation in Christ. You're not Saul of Tarsus anymore. You're Paul, the apostle. You're my brother, my co-laborer. Just a forgiveness in Philip's heart, a lack of bitterness. When he had every right to just be angry at this man who murdered his friend, we don't see that anymore. You read the story of Corey Tin Boom, you know, and she's been passed away for a while. And I think people kind of forget what the Lord did in Corey Tin Boom, a Jewish woman who lived back in the days of Nazi Germany, and she and her whole family were taken away to a concentration camp as she was sorted out. Her and her sister was sent to a separate concentration camp. They were spared the gas chambers, but they were treated oh so cruelly to the point that her sister Betsy ended up dying at the hands of the Nazi soldiers. And in a miraculous way, Corey Tin Boom was able to escape this camp. She was freed from this camp, ended up living, you know, up to, I believe it was 1982 or something like that. And, uh, and had this incredible ministry preaching forgiveness and love. And one day she was speaking over in Germany on this forgiveness and love. And afterwards, an old man came up to her sobbing and he said, I need to talk to you. And as he spoke, he shared that he was one of the captains of the guards in the concentration camp that her and her sister Betsy was at. He was really responsible for her sister's death. And he just says, I've come to Christ and I've experienced the forgiveness that's in Christ. Will you forgive me? And Corey ended up forgiving that man and really beginning a relationship with this former general, former enemy. We see that's just a fruit in a Christian's life is forgiveness. Knowing how much we've been forgiven and just realizing it is such a simple thing for me now to turn and forgive others who've really sinned against me so much less 
that I've sinned against my Lord. He who's been loved much forgives much. I've been loved much. Philip had been loved much and he forgave Paul much here. But this man, this man who was of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, had a good standing both with the Lord and in the community, had great boldness of faith, a preacher, an evangelist. We see here in verse 9 that this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. I want to look for a second here at the parenting of Philip. And it's not that we have a ton of information given to us, except that we just see who his daughters are. We see who his daughters are, and it's a testimony to who this man is. Four virgin daughters who prophesied. I mean, really, when do you even hear that phrase, a man has four virgin daughters, period? I mean, it is a complete act of God's grace for a man with four daughters to remain pure and virgins until the day of their wedding. Uh, you know, and most of the time we can just think of people in our lives that, well, I can think of three virgin daughters or two virgin daughters or, well, they might be virgins, but they're not very pure, you know, or whatever. It's like, wow, you know, this is just an incredible testimony here in chapter 21, verse nine, four virgin daughters who prophesied, man, the verse hits home in third John chapter one, verse four, where John just says, man, I have no greater joy than to know and to hear that my children walk in the truth. How many of you parents can testify to that? Man, I have no greater joy in my life. Who cares about what I've accomplished in my career or whatever, but to think of my, my son or my sons or my daughters and that they love the Lord and they walk in the truth. Beautiful thing as a dad to have a four-year-old. It's just praise and likes to read the Bible and you hear him in another room just singing about Jesus. No greater joy in my life than hearing that. But when you hear that, there is a testimony so often to the parents that brought up these children. As you look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, you can go and flip back there. Lindsay and I are reading through Deuteronomy together and this week we just happened to be in chapter 6, verse 4 and then we read I think it was Mark chapter 12, where the lawyer comes up to Jesus and asks, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus basically just says, hey, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. <laughs> you know, it, it just loving the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. But as you look there in the Shema, this is what the, the Jews call the Shema, where it's just declared, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then we're given really the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Okay? Then get this. Man, I hope that you're in Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me. Especially if you're a parent right now. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Is that a description of you today as a parent? Some of you are grandparents. 
I think this is very applicable for you today as well. Kind of being the, you know, the, the head of the whole home. You know, kind of being the patriarch of the family and having times with your grandkids and not making it all about, you know, walks in the parks or video games or let's go to a movie or let's do this or that. But, you know, those are great fun times with the kids. But man, have you left the greater thing undone in your life with your grandkids or with your children? Do you teach the precepts of the Lord diligently to your children? When you sit in your house, what do you talk about? It's been fun lately. I've just kind of listening to some other pastors and they've been talking about children's catechisms. And I've never been familiar with the catechism or what it was or anything like that. And, and I kind of looked it up and it's just kind of the, the, the doctrinal statements of our faith. And so they're at the dinner table lately and, and it's more like a couple times a week. I don't want to sound like it's all that, you know, a couple times a week we'll sit at the dinner table and I quiz Russell on just doctrinal statements of the faith. And I just, you know, I'll kind of act like I'm a, a man in the world. I just say, hey, excuse me, Russell, what? And he just loves it. What? Like pretending, you know. Who made you? Jesus made me. Oh, what else did God make? God made all things. Oh, why did God make you in all things? For his own glory, you know. Huh. How can we glorify God, Russell? And the, the correct answer on the catechism is by loving him and doing what he commands. But Russell just tweaks it a little bit. By loving him and giving him what he commands. Yeah, just give him what he wants, son. You know, but just, and, and, and now he'll, he'll, you know, we'll just be randomly in the house and he'll go, excuse me, dad. And I'll go, yes, son. You know, and, and he can't remember the order or how the questions are. And he gets so mad because he's like, uh, he remembers the who made you part, you know, and I'll say, God made me. And then why did you glorify God? You know, it's just like, and, uh, and I'll try to answer it right. And I just get in trouble. You know, I get rebuked, go sit in the corner for not knowing my catechism, you know, not doing it legalistically with Russell, but just, Hey, I want him to know my God, you know, and we're reading the children's Bible and, you know, and, and we're reading the Bible Bible, you know, the adult Bible together. And just, Hey, let's, let's try and understand the faith, son. But when you sit in the house, what do you talk about? Do you talk at all with your children? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, Walks are beautiful times to talk with your kids about the one who created the mountains. We hiked up Barnes Butte a couple weeks ago. And as we're hiking up, Russell, you know, little catechism boy, you know, why did God make the mountains? <laughs> you know, and I got started thinking like a biologist. Well, um, let's see, flood, you know, came and, you know, and then I was like, oh, oh yeah, for his own glory, you know, when we walk by the way. When we rise up and when we lie down, when you tuck him in at night, you talk about the things of the Lord. goes on to say, you shall bind these things as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and between the gates. You know, man, how much is the scripture, the holy writ of God displayed in your house? On the refrigerator, on the bathroom mirror, you know, just wherever you can. And I'm talking to myself here. There's times where it seems like it's, I'm doing better and times when I'm not. Where's the Word of God at in your house? Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. 
Solomon says, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head. I guess this is your head and a chain about your neck. You know, as we spend these times talking about Jesus and reading the word and worshiping, and I instruct you in the ways of righteousness, my son and my daughter. As you're instructed, it's like you're wearing a crown and royal garments. In chapter 4, Solomon says it again, repetition, the key of knowledge. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, when I was David's boy, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. You know, some of you dads, if I could talk to the dads in the room, some of you dads are completely absent in the spiritual instruction of your children. Completely absent. You leave it up to the mom. If that. It ought not be so. It ought not be so. As a dad, as the head of the home, as the spiritual leader, as a picture of Jesus over the church, as a picture of God our Father, man, you're to be loving and instructing your children and teaching them about sin and righteousness and judgment and the grace of God and the propitiation in His blood, the substitution of Christ on the cross. And some of you dads, completely absent in the spiritual instruction of your children. And just as we look at Philip, and we just see these girls who have a dad who loves Jesus and serves Jesus, a regular aspect of his life is being used by the Lord and we see fruit of that. You know, praise the Lord for those of us that have the testimony of having horrible fathers, horrible mothers, no love, no spiritual instruction, yet here you are today, feasting upon the Word of God, soaking it in like a sponge, savoring every word, the testimony of grace, amen? Man, praise the Lord that where we fail. One pastor was talking this week about, man, when we drop the ball of being fathers or mothers, it's a big ball we drop. But God is a gracious God and He picks up that fumble. We're the ones that miss out. We're the ones that miss out on being part of that. But we see here this, this parenting quality that has led to purity within His daughters as He has four virgin daughters. You know, parents, you cannot get too involved in your kids' lives grandparents. You can't get too involved in your kids' lives and reasoning with them concerning purity. Reasoning with them why what God makes, what, what God says makes sense biblically, physically, emotionally, medically. God says what He says concerning purity for a reason. Not because He's trying to be a giant buzzkill in the sky, but He wants to protect you. You know, God says that sin is bad because it's destructive. Not because He's trying to rob you of a good time. And in this world, no secret, there's a flood, a torrential flood of sexual immorality just bombarding our kids today. Just bombarding our kids. Even in Christian homes, what they witness, you watching, 
you listening to, you reading, the magazines around the house, you know, the shows that are left on, just bombarding these pure, innocent, holy little minds. You know, Jesus says, hey, you know what? The offenses are going to come. They're going to come. You know, every one of us, you know, we remember when we were exposed to certain things. It's going to happen. Get the kids in school. seems like the first day of school, they get exposed to everything. Offenses are going to come, but Jesus says this, woe to the one by whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone's tied around his neck and he's cast into the sea than he should stumble one of these little ones. Woe to that man. May the Lord just awaken us to our environment and what we're exposing our little ones to. You know, talking with your kids about sex and about purity and about all the other defilements in the world, we need to talk to them about these things. Even if you've fallen short in this in these areas, if you sinned and you fell short and you failed in these areas, you are qualified to talk to them and to share your experience your mistakes, what sin did and the consequences that it brought. This week, I just knew that, man, you know, your temptation is to be like, oh, sweet. You know, Paul talking about, what do you mean by breaking my heart? I'm not ready to only be bound, but to suffer and die in Jerusalem. And yeah, let's talk more about boldness. And I just kept coming back to these, these four virgin daughters who prophesied. Kept coming back to their dad. And all week, uh, Wednesday... <clears throat> Uh, Wednesday through last night, got home at 1130, was at a pastor's conference and a leadership conference in Boise and just meditating on this and just praying over the scriptures. And, and, uh, there was one pastor that was there and I really got to connect with him on this trip. Pastor Rick Brown from, uh, the Calvary Chapel in, uh, Idaho Falls. And he kind of picked me out in the, in the group session is like, I don't know that guy over there. Who is that guy? And I just kind of shared who I was. He's like, I want to pray for you right now. In the midst of all these pastors, I was like, whoa, thanks, you know, just prayed for me and then came up to me afterwards and just, just was like interested in me, this, you know, small town boy, small town preacher guy, you know, and it just, it was just so neat because as we talked, got to know each other, um, somehow I got talking about what we were going to teach today and uh, he'd said, man, I have four kids that were virgins when they got married. And they got married young, 19 and 20 years old. They got married young. They were pure when they got married. They were pure. They were as white as snow when they got married because they had a heart for Jesus. And he goes, but that, it's, he's like, it's, it's ironic because I was a drug addict. I was, was a sexual, or a sexual deviant, you know, just like pursuing immorality to a, just, that was my passion, drugs and sex. And here I am, a pastor by God's grace with four kids who were pure when they were married. And they're pure now. And uh, to jump ahead in the story a little bit, he was speaking at the leadership portion of the conference in Boise as well. And he got talking about his testimony and that, you know, it's just amazing that he would have uh, pure, pure kids, you know, with his testimony. And he says, and my wife's testimony he talked about how his wife had been molested by her uncle just continually in her life and never told anybody until she met her husband. And then they ended up prosecuting the uncle. And, and when they prosecuted the uncle, it just came out just all of this 
sexual assault on his own children. And I mean, it just, it goes on and on. And, and Kevin and I were talking like, oh, it's just almost too much to hear. Like just, you know, it just went on and on and suicides that resulted from that and mental breakdowns and just on and on. And you just, just sin makes you sick, but he was able to show, but look what grace does in our lives, you know? And one of his sons was there, a pilot, a flight instructor, just worshiping Jesus. And and then he went on to say, <clears throat> while he was speaking, that his wife ended up being healed and set free and writing a book called Healed and Set Free by Tammy Brown. It was a book that our women that have, have gone through these types of things have gone through. And I was just, oh man, puzzle pieces coming together. And wow, you're Rick Brown that is married to Tammy Brown. And look what God has done, restoring purity when either you lost it yourself through stupid decisions and just passionate just decisions of the moment, biggest mistakes of your life and you know it, or it was taken by someone who had no right to take it from you. But God makes all things new again. He makes all things new and He makes you useful for the ministry. No matter what your past is, you are useful to the Lord. And one of those uses is in your beautiful little children's lives, however you failed. And so kind of jumping back to the, the pastor's portion, we hadn't even gotten to that. Tammy Brown was his wife and all that. I just said, hey, four kids, pure. What's, what's the secret? You know, and he says, give them Jesus, give them Jesus. And he says, and you talk to them about everything. Talk to them about everything. You expose the darkness with the lie and it loses its foothold. You talk to them about everything. Fill up here four pure virgin daughters who, you know, nowadays there's these practical implications, these dangers of sexual immorality, worries about pregnancy and AIDS and other venereal diseases, regretting bad decisions for years to come, the guilty feeling. Loss of self-respect, corruption of character, shaken trust and future fear of commitment, rage over betrayal, depression and suicide, poisoned relationships, and stunted personal developments. That's just on a, on a social level. Not to mention you've sinned against God, which is the greatest tragedy of sexual immorality. But as we look at these women, we, these four pure virgins, I just want to look at some other just neat examples for us and, and one maybe poor example for us. As you look at Daniel chapter 1, you just flip there and for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of summarize it. You know, Daniel and his buddies are taken captive by Babylon and they're chosen by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar to be these eunuchs, really, to be these servants of the king. And in that task, really, it was kind of a privilege for a slave, you know, because you were treated well, you were fed well, you were given good responsibility. But Daniel knew that he was not to defile himself, as chapter 1, verse 8 tells us, with the king's delicacies. And so Daniel, it says, they're purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. 
We just see there in him and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those weren't their Hebrew names, but uh, his buddies that we're familiar with. We just see in, in their lives, in the whole book of Daniel, we just see integrity and character. I just wonder, man, what gave these 15-year-old boys such character to stand up to a king and the officer of the eunuchs, you know, that he would be bold and brave and not even eat the meat that was around these idols or drink the wine? Not going to do it. I would say, number one, what gave this man such integrity was his parents. His parents. And though we're never introduced to his parents in the Scripture, you look at his name and you see his parents. You look at every one of these boys' names and you see their parents. As Daniel's name means God is judge. As Hanani's name was the Lord is gracious. Mishael's name, none are like God. Azariah, the Lord is my help. These parents gave these boys names that were a reflection of their lives. But the prince of the eunuchs in verse 7 determined to give their, you know, change their godly names and given the names of heathen gods, Belteshazzar, Baal protects. Shadrach, command of Murdoch. Meshach, command of Marduk. Abednego, servant of Nego. They changed their names, but they couldn't change these guys' character. And in chapter 1, verse 8, you see Daniel purpose in his heart not to defile himself. From his upbringing, from his time in the Scriptures, he'd been given conviction, a strong persuasion or belief. As Sandy Adams says, conviction is when I put my heart into my holiness. Conviction is determination added to your desire. It's commitment with a strong resolve or decision. It's commitment added to the agreement with what's, or with that it's right. It's a moral with some muscle. Conviction is a virtue that's been working out and lifting weights. Conviction adds credibility to virtue. Daniel had virtue with conviction. Virtue being moral excellence. A Dear Abby article said this, I'm in love and having an affair with two different women. I can't marry them both. Please tell me what to do. But don't give me any of that morality stuff. And she answered him, Dear sir, the only difference between humans and animals is morality. Please write to a veterinarian. <laughs> and you know, well, that's really some worldly counsel. You know, to God... And to your future spouse, if you're a youngin, to your children's future spouse, morality matters. Morality matters in a culture that has thrown it out the windows. But I don't today preach to you morality. Morality without regeneration is worthless. It's futile. On our best day, our morality before God is filthy rags. If you haven't been clothed in the garments of Christ, if you haven't been clothed, clothed in the righteousness of Christ and Daniel through faith, looking forward to the Messiah was regenerate clothed in the garments of Christ. The father looks at Daniel through the lens of the cross and the Holy Spirit had placed in Daniel virtue, moral excellence, plus Conviction, a strong persuasion or belief. And you know what? When you have conviction and virtue both, 
You don't care what the circumstances are around you. You don't care if you're a slave boy in a pagan land going to be slaughtered right then and there. You don't care the personalities that are involved. If it's the king of Babylon, the conqueror of the then known world, or if it's that cute girl from social studies class who's putting the moves on you. And she's popular. And if you say no, you only can guess what will happen to your reputation. You don't care who it is. The boyfriend who promised to marry you someday. And if he puts the moves on and you say no way, then that relationship's over. You don't care. You're virtuous. You have conviction. You have the spirit of the living God inside you. And you can say no, regardless of the circumstances, the personalities, or the consequences of standing up for righteousness. When you have conviction and virtue, moral excellence is elevated to supremacy. Virtue before the Lord is all that matters. You don't have merely an agreement with the truth, but you have a commitment worth keeping, even if it costs you your life. And Paul says, man, you meditate on those things that are virtuous. You meditate on those things that are praiseworthy. Daniel, virtuous. Samson, Russell and I, reading in the Word today. It's been fun because he's been coming out as I've been reading the Word And he doesn't want me to read his children's Bible first. Now he wants me to read my Bible. And we've been going through Judges together. So we're talking about Jephthah, you know, the warrior who made a certain promise about his daughter that nobody really knows what happened there. But, you know, whoa, and Samson, you know, and whoa, just my little four-year-old, just loving that. But as we read about Samson and about his parents who were barren. His mom was barren before Samson was born. And his dad, Manoah, they were grieved that they couldn't have children. And in Judges chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, you see that the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah and his wife and they were told that they would have a son and they were to set apart or sanctify this son to the Lord as a Nazarite. He was to be useful to the Lord. And so in the womb, Samson was sanctified. His parents, you know, they weren't to drink wine or intoxicating drink. They weren't to eat anything unclean so that Samson, their boy, could be set apart. Part of this sanctification was that Samson's hair wasn't to be cut. You remember that. You might say that Samson grew up in a Christian home. The angel of the Lord, Jesus, appeared to Manoah and his wife. This prophecy of this little boy, this little sanctified boy. And yet by the next chapter... Samson sees a non-believing girl, a daughter of the Philistines, and he covets her and he demands her as wife. And mom and dad put up a small fight. Samson wanted his way. And there's the encouragement of the sovereignty of the Lord there that the parents, they didn't know that God was in it. You know, of course, God could work sovereignly through obedience. (laughs) That was probably the better way to go. And yet God was in it. And Samson went to marry this girl And it's within that chapter, one chapter after his birth, that Samson kills a lion with his bare hands. Leaves it there on the side of the road. On his way back, he sees that bees have created a little uh, little nest in this dead lion carcass. And he scoops into the lion's carcass and grabs some honey and eats it along the way. Takes it back to mom and dad who've also sanctified themselves. And he gives them some. So... There's just this compromise going on in Samson's life as he defiles himself. By chapter 16, Samson goes and visits a harlot. And the enemy sees him and and, and tries to capture him. 
He also goes to Delilah and is seduced and enticed by Delilah and eventually loses his life. His immorality and his compromise. Because he didn't, one, heed the, the voice of his parents and two, heed the word of the Lord. Cost him his life. If you're a child here today, hear the words of your parents. It is foolishness to ignore the words of your parents. If you're a parent, you press your counsel into your children. You don't take no for an answer. You stand up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and say, you shall not be unequally yoked together with a non-believer. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does Christ have with Belial? It's a God issue. It's an idolatry issue. You can't link Jesus with the God of this world. You stand up for the scriptures if you're a parent. Yet again, Morality without regeneration is worthless. Mark Driscoll said, you know, most parents are wanting their children to be moral, not to be redeemed. And unless there's a new heart, there will not be a different course of action. In addition, in Romans 1, we're told that the natural tendency of the unregenerate heart is to suppress the truth of God. So most parents think, well, if I read the Bible to my child and throw them in Sunday school and give them a youth pastor, then they'll just be moral kids because they got all this good information. Good information without a receptive heart is worthless. It just increases condemnation in this way. And then he goes on to say, if I take water and throw it in a bucket that has holes, I'm gaining nothing. In the same way, I could take the scripture and throw it into an unredeemed heart of a rebellious child and again, nothing. It just does not stick. It pours out freely. And so as a parent, you know, as good as it is to have devotional times with your kids, you need to be preaching Jesus to your kids. There's a little Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible for your kids, for your grandkids. Every single story points to Jesus. And one day a prince will come. And he will redeem God's people once and for all. One day a a prince will come and he will shed his blood as a lamb that's been slain. Just as the lamb's blood was put on the doorpost. You know, just teaching your kids about Christ. The need for redemption. Man, you pray for your kids, not for moral conduct. You pray for your kids and your grandkids for redeemed hearts, for salvation, which will bear the fruit of morality. And that morality will bring glory to the Lord. As Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, people will see your good works and they'll what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. When it comes to your kids on dating, man, just be real with your kids. Why would you date? Ultimately, to get married. Well, are you ready to be married? No, then you're not dating. One thing good practical wisdom. There's too much temptation for passion in your life if you're just dating to fill a hole in your, in your life, to fill a void in your heart. Good boundaries for a dating relationship, you know, is, you know, and, and you guys hear it with your kids, with your grandkids, with your nieces and your nephews, with the, the kids that are just over at your house, you know, is, is holding hands okay? Is kissing okay? What kind of kissing? How long of a kiss? How far can I go? And when you hear that question, you need to automatically bring correction and say, you know what? Those are questions of a sick heart. Those are questions of a sick heart. 
that don't care about the holiness of God, but just want to see how much can I get away with without being judged? How much can I get away with? It's a, it's a question of a sick heart that needs to be corrected, needs to be chastened, needs to be called out there. But for the sake of really practical asking, you know, how close to the cliff do you want to get? How close to the cliff do you want to get before you fall off? Just to see, you know, how close. Very similar in our, in our relationships. Another thing, another, you know, just good piece of advice is, you know, are you marrying the person you're dating? Even better, are you married to the person you're dating? <laughs> because of this, if you're not married, then the person you are con- in contact with physically is not your wife and could potentially be somebody else's wife. And you could potentially be somebody else's husband. And do you want some guy out there doing to your wife what you're going to do to your girlfriend right now? No way. No way. Man, I want my wife to be pure and I want to be pure. And I want our marriage to come together in in purity and bring glory to the Lord. And so to ask the question, you know, how, how much can we get away with? It's just, it's sick. It's wrong. You know, really to even humor it with an answer like those, you just, it's like, let's get back to the root of things. You need to be born again. You need to have a heart for the holiness of God. You need to consider this girl as your sister. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, concerning the things which you wrote me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Just good not to touch. Good sage wisdom from the apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 through 8. It's really, we go through it all the time. That the will of God is your sanctification apart from the world. Your sexual purity that... Each of you should know how to possess your own vessel, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who have this nice little handy system. I think it used to be a funnel that was a lot shallower, and now I think it's a steep funnel. You know, it used to be like, okay, let's ask ask the person out, you know, and then hold hands after a little bit, and then and then and then the funnel just keeps going together, you know, then hold hands, then we kiss, then after we kiss, then this kind of kiss, and then blah 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 until, man fallen sexually if not earlier (laughs) but you know it seems like nowadays it's just it's almost like a not even a a funnel but just a pit that you fall in that's the passion and lust of the gentiles it's the advice we get from the world and from tv shows and talk shows and not what we get from the scriptures possess your vessel in sanctification and honor and paul goes on to say to the thessalonians that you know if you don't want to obey the scriptures you're defrauding your brother or your sister in the Lord. You're defrauding them. And if you reject God's standards for purity, you reject God, not man. It's God's standards, not man's advice. And we're told by Song of Solomon in a few different places, two, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 4, chapter 8, verse 5, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases it's good advice to give your kids. Hey, don't give your heart away. Don't give your mind away. Don't give your, your body away. There's relationships. There's contact that's reserved exclusively for covenant relationship in marriage. And don't awaken that kind of love and that kind of passion that was never meant to be stopped. It was never meant to be severed. It was never meant to be quenched. Don't awaken that outside of the covenant bond of marriage. You're setting yourself for, up for all kinds of heartache. We see Joseph 
chapter 39 of Genesis. He was a man handsome in form and in appearance. Potiphar's wife casts longing eyes on him and says, lie with me. And he resists her and he resists her. And he answers this beautiful answer. How can I do this great sin, this great wickedness and sin against God? How could I do that? No, no. And then you guys know the story. She grabs his garment one day. It's just the temptation was too much. And come lie with me, Joseph. And he just flees sexual immorality, as Paul tells us to do. He flees a strong, hard-to-pin-down action. And as he runs away, she rips with such force his garment off of him so that he flees away naked. Joseph, virtuous young man, full of integrity, knowing that sexual sin was wickedness. And it was sin against God. And so we see purity in these girls. And I want to close here. We see power and we see passion. That they were four virgin pure daughters who did what? They prophesied. Not only they were, were they pure, but they were spiritual. And as you get to know their dad, Philip, you know, it's no wonder that these girls were spiritual. We see that Philip's house was a house that was open to the work of the Lord. He was a hospitable man to the brethren and he had men staying with them and, and you know, we're to be hospitable, especially those that are elders. One of the requirements is that they're given to hospitality. He's this hospitable man and the kind of gifting and the power that we see these girls operating in, it's, it's comes from more than just a, a devotional time with the Lord of reading something that you got at the Christian bookstore in the morning. Or just that one time of the day of, well, I read my chapter and that's all I need of God during the day. But this type of passion and power that these girls operated in, it came from lives saturated by the Spirit of God. Times waiting on the Lord and worshiping the Lord and meditating upon His Word. Walking in the Spirit, both in and outside of the home. These girls were exposed to this in their family life. They saw a work of the Lord just happening regularly in their life and in their dad's life. Where's dad? Oh, he's out being transported somewhere today, you know. Woo, woo. You know, oh, you know, is it back up in Samaria checking on the brothers up there? Where's dad? What's dad doing? Dad was instructing these girls in the scriptures and coaching them along in their spiritual gifts. They were prophetesses exposed to the work of the Lord at a young age. Just a word to you parents today to do all that you can. And you grandparents, do all that you can to expose these children to Jesus 24-7. Your life is all about the Lord. Your life is all about worshiping the Lord. Your life is all about serving the Lord. Your life is all about using your spiritual gifts for the edification of the body. Times of worship in the home. Times of waiting on the Lord in the home. And how tragic that within... You know, Christianity these days, it's like, yeah, you know, a time a week or if that, two, maybe three, you know, there's like the, those little snippets of time with God during the week. And, you know, I, I would say these girls had more than that. These girls had time with just their dad who was full of the Spirit. Their dad who was all about Jesus. And their dad who said, hey, you know, Lisa, <laughs> what, what are your spiritual gifts? I don't know, Dad, but just as we've been praying, I've just been earnestly desiring to prophesy like Paul told me to do when he came down and visited. 
All right, let's pray for that gift in you. And hey, tonight, you know, before we go to bed, let's pray. And if the Lord puts on your heart a word of prophecy, speak that out. Lisa, Lisa's a good Jewish name. I don't know. but You know, I'm just, oh, wow. You know, man, I really desire these. I'll just, oh, how cool. How cool. Just times. Let's just worship, guys. You know, before we go to bed, let's worship. And how many of our kids have been exposed to nothing more than Sunday Christianity in their lives and in our lives? And how many girls and how many boys, all they've seen in their dad is Sunday Christianity, lukewarm at best. Or powerful Sunday Christianity, but only on Sunday. Man, may our kids just never grow up seeing a game that we play with God. Carnality in the home, hypocrisy, that turns them off. May they see genuineness in the home. And may it lead to purity. May it lead to passion. May it lead to powerful use of the gifts. And so as we close today, You know, it's not just about purposing in your heart not to defile yourself. It's not about just, I'm really going to be virtuous now. I'm really going to be moral. Yeah, worship team, you guys come on up. You know, that's just, those are just little steps. But the main thing, the main thing is being regenerate. And Daniel chapter one tells us that Daniel was a man who had an excellent spirit in him. And as you're born again, as you're born again, that excellent spirit makes your heart his home. And as we're told in Zechariah, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by what? It's by my spirit, says the Lord. You can come to Jesus today as a dad and you can fall down at the mercy seat in heaven today and you can say, Lord, I know who you are and how much you love me and what, with what great love you've loved me. And man, I know you're risen from the dead. We've just established that this last week from Easter Sunday. And Lord, you're worthy and so much more than a Sunday walk with the Lord, but just a a minute by minute, 24-7, passionate life with you, Christ. And I want to just ask, Lord, that, that you would help me, that you would empower me by your Spirit to be that. And Lord, that you would help me to instruct my children and raise them up in the way they should go, that when they're old, they wouldn't depart from it. You'd help me to coach my kids in their walk with Christ and in their devotional life and in their use of their spiritual gifts, in their prayer life. Lord, just by your spirit, let it be done. And those of you that are youth or single, man, just cry out today that the Holy Spirit would just fill you and overflow you and empower you to be virtuous. Men and women of conviction elevating the standards of God, your God, to the highest place in your life, even if it costs you death. And today we're going to close with communion. And I just felt, just since Wednesday, just praying, I just felt today we're to have the dads come up first and get communion for their families. And if you're little kids, I don't think we really have little kids in here, but you know, uh, if, if your children aren't believers in Christ, then you know, don't get them communion, but maybe take communion back with them and explain communion with them. And tell your kids about the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus. And maybe today is a day your, your kid would like to receive the forgiveness that comes through Jesus as his body was broken and his blood was shed. And that today as you dads come up and you take the cup and the bread, I want you to get it for your family. Maybe it's just your wife with you today, your fiance or whatever. You take that back and you just say, Lord, today, today's the day 
that being the spiritual leader of my home begins. Not by what I've done, not by a work of my flesh, but by what you've done. What you've done on the cross and what you do through your spirit in me. But today, and you just pray with your wife or pray with your family, whoever's with you. Let the, let the dads come up here. You know, if, if it's just you and your wife, come get it for your wife. If you're a single mom, I want you to come up and I want you to get it for your kids. If you can talk with them and just let the, the heads of the home come forward and, and we'll have them get the communion for their family. And then if you're here by yourself, why don't you let the, the dads come forward as they just make the stand that, Lord, make me a spiritual leader of my home like Philip. Let those dads come up. And then if you're just here by yourself today, wonderful, so glad to have you. You can come up then and get, get uh, yours as well. But dads, as you do that, just, just take the cup and the bread back and just pray with your family. Just pray over this raising of the kids and, and being just open to just the moving of the Spirit in your home. Just pray over this. Let's pray that the, the power of the Holy Spirit would produce in our families purity, passion, and power. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you. 